Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with one of our guest hosts, uh, David uh, Giorgiani, and uh, hopefully I didn't butcher the name too much, but uh, he comes to us with a background in product and in tech and and in teaching as well. So he also has a lot of experience in the entrepreneurial world, uh, but I'll let him kind of dive deep and and tell us a little bit about uh, what he's doing now. Aluki, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. And uh, as you mentioned, my name is David Giorgiani. I am currently a director of product at ideal.com, which is a small startup, 30 something people, not, not that small, not that big. Um, and uh, kind of heading the product develop, product management side. Uh, for those who don't know, product management is about kind of understanding what the engineering team needs to focus on, what the engineering team needs to build, and then prioritization, kind of helping them clarify what needs to be done and helping them kind of walk the path and deliver. So that's one side of it. There's a lot more to it. I'm happy to open up if, if needed. And the other side is I'm also teaching at the University of Toronto. I teach a course, uh, CSC 301, which is Introduction to Software Engineering to computer science students who are interested in learning software engineering to be able to get internships and jobs. And I also teach another course in um, data storytelling, which I want to help uh, technical and non-technical people read data understand it and be able to present it to others to take action. So I'll pause there given the brief introduction and happy to ex- expand on any more part that you want, Loki. Yeah, I actually want to go back in time and delve into what was David like as a kid? So getting from that point to, to where he is now. So what was he uh, like an adventurous kid, uh, an outgoing kid? Was he very technical minded? But what was David like as a kid? What are some of the, the earliest fond memories that you might have? <laughs> um, I remember being very excited about computers in general. I was nerdy. Um, uh, I was, uh, for better or for worse, I was categorized as uh, talented. Uh, I okay. went to the gifted school and it had implications that after years and years of being being in the world, I, I'm learning that it had the good side and it had the bad sides. And I'm happy right. to open that part as well. But um, I think being part of the school of uh, a lot of kids who are very nerdy and, and the same kind of mindset was was something that I remember and I'm, I'm happy. Um, about the experiences there. I played a lot with computer games, maybe too much. That's one okay. of the things that I, every now and then I go back, but I enjoyed those times playing those um, with my friends or going to like an internet cafe to play to play together. That was middle school and high school for me. And, and uh, hmm? no, go ahead. I was going to say that that essentially defined a, a good chunk of my childhood uh, playing video games. The first time was around like when I was four years old. I'm not too proud of it, but again, just uh, just one of the biggest things that I remember. <laughs> I wanted to delve a little bit into what you mentioned about kind of the, the good and the bad of that 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 gifted part, because uh, a lot of parents would love if their uh, kids are, are gifted. So uh, I, I actually was, was a gifted student as well. And my kid just recently went through the test. And unfortunately, he didn't make the cut. Right. Uh, but I, I think that might be a blessing in disguise. So can you can you walk us through a little bit about your experience and say, well, that good part and then maybe uh, the, the opposite side of the bad, just so that folks understand what, what that means. Right. So actually, this is a great question. Um, the good part is obviously you, you're, I was kind of uh, being valued. So I, didn't, I had confidence from early on. I was being told you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. And it helped my confidence as a kid. It helped, it helped me believe in having dreams and potential and all those things. 
However, um, it also made me define myself by intelligence and define mm. people's values by intelligence, right? As a young kid, I didn't know much, right? So young kids generally uh, are defined by money or popularity or, or for us, intelligence. I was, I was among the nerdy group, right? So for us, intelligence was the biggest thing, much bigger than popularity. I guess different schools right. and different kids would have different mindsets. So it, it kind of made me or like got me to define intelligence as one of the key things that a person has and became my value system. And now being an adult and having gone through this and having thought through leadership and uh, kind of understanding other aspects of people, I'm like, huh, actually come to think of it, intelligence or IQ, like the raw intelligence almost means nothing. Mm. I mean, I, I'm grateful that I'm a little bit uh, sharper in terms of being able to things, but it actually means nothing, especially when it comes to communicating with others and working with other people. And we're hearing a lot about emotional intelligence, right? right? Um, empathy. And those are the things that I didn't get to practice as a kid. And I think those would be very, very valuable. Yeah, I think I would, I would echo that sentiment where um, a lot of the kind of new jobs, uh, especially things like, 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 like product and marketing and, and things like that, it, it deals with how you understand people, right? Uh, the, the other exactly. stuff is a commodity, right? right? They'll build an app or machine learning to deal with that because there's an if this, then that statement, but like creativity or dealing with emotions, that stuff is, is, is mm-hmm. a challenging part. So uh, I, I'd love if you talked a little bit more about uh, games, uh, just kind of in that area where uh, you mentioned, well, you spent a little too much time on that, but, but there's things like, like esports that are upcoming where a lot of people like, you know what, I, I can actually make a career out of that. Like, did you, did you mm-hmm. ever kind of think of that? You, you probably weren't uh, in that headspace, but um, what were those gaming days like? And, and was there like a, yeah. a, a game of choice? <laughs> I loved um, RPG games, role-playing okay. games. So where I have the main character, you have a hero, you make decisions or strategic games where you have to think through like a bigger picture, plan things ahead, right? So I played a lot of strategic games and RPG games. Um, and that was kind of a lot of spent uh, time spent. The good thing about that is um, it helped me learn English and practice English because English was my fourth language and I didn't know how to speak English and I didn't speak English up until I was 20 something, right? So um, it helped me to kind of understand the words, understand the stories and, and things like that. Um, so it, th- th- that was a big positive for me that I was getting uh, from it. So it sounded like games is more on late, later in, in life. Um, games for me was uh, four or five years old, uh, starting okay. then, basic games at the time, but seven, eight years up until like 18. And even now, these days, well, not these days, the past few years, I've had like uh, times when I installed a game, played a whole weekend, and then uninstalled again. Because again, I, I, I have this love for games and um, challenging games and strategic games that I still, I, I still have a habit of playing not this year in 2021, maybe not in 2020, but I know it has happened in my 20s as well. Cool. Well, I'm surprised because this is the time where a lot of people have uh, opportunity to, to do stuff like catch up on Netflix and video games and stuff like that. But I guess there's <laughs> other priorities uh, at, at the moment. Uh, I'd love if you kind of walked us through kind of the journey. So, so you're uh, a smart kid, right? Uh, you, you love video games. And uh, you, you're on that path to go to, to high school and university and you have to pick a career path. So, so what was kind of, uh, is there, was there one destined for you? Like the typical like doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, was that, was that in, the, in the path or did you have influences from, from uh, parents or, or cousins or, or siblings that kind of directed you to, to certain other paths? Uh, that's a good question. So actually my, my dad is a civil engineer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my older brother is a civil engineer. Okay. And my sister is an architect. Um, okay. Mostly because I grew up in Iran. And in Iran, at the time, girls couldn't study civil engineering. Okay. So the equivalent was, uh, or there were some exceptions, but for the most part, my sister ended up going to architecture. So engineering was, or civil engineering for the, very specifically, was kind of the, the, the carved path for me. Right. Uh, but I decided to rebel and then not go to the path, the path that, that my parents uh, kind of, my dad went through. And, uh, but I didn't know there, there could be so many other professions or majors that I could get into. Um, so I, engineering was my world. I didn't want to become a civil engineer. I love computers and um, IT or software ended up being my thing. I, I chose, uh, I chose to go to those. I have, I chose to apply to those programs and I got into an IT engineering program at University of Iran. And, and talk to us about that choice. So, so you basically crossed out uh, civil uh, as the engineering, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of other engineering that you could have done. Uh, yeah. Was it just because of the, the love of tech and, and, and computers and stuff like that? Or were there other factors that, that went into the decision making? That's actually a great question ties into what we talked about earlier with, um, I'm going to give a bit of a background. Okay. Um, I grew up in Iran. And in Iran, similar to India and um, I think China, you have an entrance exam. Like you high school students take an entrance exam. And then with that entrance exam and the ranking, um, in Iran, we can choose which university we want to get into and which program we want to get into. Okay. Right. So with that, um, I, I did the entrance exam. I, I, I ranked well, which meant I could choose any of the options that I had. So for me, the biggest thing was future opportunity. And at the time, I knew that I would be coming to Canada. Uh, this is all high school back in there, mm-hmm. uh, back in that time. I know we wanted to come to Canada and I was thinking, okay, what are the roles that could translate or what I could learn in, in Iran and then come to Canada with, right? And with that mindset, uh, software and IT were one of the kind of like top skills to pick up at the time. And I, I, I loved aerospace engineering as well, the okay. idea. But given the context, if I learn aerospace engineering in Iran, given all the uh, political and uh, economical dynamics, it wouldn't have been a great opportunity for me in the West, right? Okay. So I chose to go into the world of computers and IT, mostly because I knew I would be able to immigrate to Canada easily and, and find a footing here. And, and you did your, your schooling in, in Canada um, afterwards, right? So is that, was that kind of the plan? So you did your undergrad uh, with the, the sole purpose that, hey, uh, it, it was going to be Canada. And, and I guess you, you picked Toronto specifically. So was there something about the Toronto that, that kind of um, uh, was, was interesting for you? Uh, yes, definitely. So to answer your earlier question, I did my undergrad in Iran and I did my master's degree in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I chose specifically Toronto because I knew I would be an immigrant wherever I go. That was an obvious thing, right? So uh, by definition. (laughs) So I wanted to go a place where immigrants are welcome. And uh, thinking about the other options, Europe, I even did an internship in Singapore. Uh, I could have gone there as an option or the US. And um, Toronto ended up being my choice because I knew it's a very multicultural, it was and it is a multicultural city. It did, and it still does welcome immigrants and newcomers. Um, and it is large enough that I can grow as much as I want to because ambition and drive was another thing that I, uh, that I had in mind at the time. Um, Vancouver was another option, mm-hmm. uh, again, being, being in Canada. And I decided not to go to Vancouver 
one because it was so far away from from the Middle East where I am, um, and two, Vancouver, I thought was a smaller city than Toronto, and obviously okay. less opportunities. I think that still holds, but I don't know how much um, how true that is today, though. Were there any kind of familial ties or, or factors? Like, did, did any of your uh, other siblings uh, end up in, in, in Canada? Or do you have relatives in there? Or is it, is it purely um, based on those, those decisions? At the time of decision-making, I did not have any ties or anybody. I did not know that I did have. Uh, when I came here, when I was landing at the airport, or like days before, I realized that, yeah, I have a second or third cousin here, which I got in touch to. Uh, but when I was making the decision, I didn't know I could, I could have family here. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes that's a, a big decision factor where, well, I have an uncle there, so therefore we will move there. It'll help with, with some of the, the connectivity points. Um, but if there's no one, it, it's nice to know that a second or third cousin twice removed or whatever is, <laughs> is there and, and available. So uh, so talk us a little bit about the, the experience uh, immigrating to Canada and uh, you're a master's student. And, and at that point, were you fairly fluent in English? Because you mentioned that you learned a lot of it by playing uh, RPG games. <laughs> so had <Yeah>. you <laughs> played enough games that, that, that you became fluent or what was that experience like? So I did, before I come to Canada, I did an internship in Singapore. Okay. I did an internship there for three years and they speak English, uh, just a variation of English, um, but it is English. I practiced there. I worked with an American university and a research lab that kind of like was, was run by the faculty of the American University, University of Illinois. And I got to practice a little bit there. That was my first exposure to actually living in a country where English is the main language. Hmm. So I got there, I, I got some experience, learned, I worked in an academic setting there. And then when I came to Canada, I could speak, I could communicate, um, but I didn't have the, the local kind of um, way of speaking, right? So in right. Canada, I think we say like, no worries, for example, or how's it okay. going and things like that. And it may not necessarily be uh, everywhere. Simple expressions that we say and we use that maybe it may be strange to someone who's from Britain or like from Singapore or some other places, right? So um, those are the things that I picked up early on, but uh, for the most part, I could communicate. And um, I've learned that initially when I thought, initially I thought communication means I understand what you're saying. I understand your words. I understand your words. And I understand the full meaning of the sentence and you understand what I'm saying and my words and my sentences, but communication is a lot more than just the words and the sentences, right? So that's another thing that I learned over the years that just knowing the language is not enough to say I can communicate well in English or French or any other language. Right, it goes to your point that sometimes these uh, local colloquialisms or whatever can uh, mean something totally different uh, in different contexts. Do you, do you have any specific ones that uh, you ha have maybe a story about uh, that, that you learned uh, that was maybe unexpected? Well, I think it took me a while to learn how to answer, how's it going? Like okay. I initially, it was like, hello, how are you? That's what I learned in a school. That's what I learned like in the books and everything, right? I didn't. Um, but then the question, simple question of how is it going? Like, how do you, is it a genuine question? Like, how, what is going? Again, it took me a while to understand that, that very, very simple question. And it is, it, it, a lot of times it's not even a question. It's just like, it's just a part of the extension of hello and hi, right? Yeah. So um, it was funny. I had to think through that, dig through it. I, I don't know how I answered them, but it was a challenge early on. But then I learned. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's when, when when you get a little bit more comfor comfortable, you, you laugh. Uh, but I, I probably at the time it was kind of like, oh, what, what does he mean? How's it going? <laughs> going what? Who, going where? Like all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Uh, 
Cool. So, so, so your 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 master's program and uh, enjoying things, and then uh, you're 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 uh, about to graduate. Did you have any aspirations for for like more school or continuing on, or or what was the the thought process uh, afterwards? So, um, I'm gonna give a little more context. This might be new to a lot of the uh, listeners, but um, I was an international student. I didn't have permanent residence or citizenship in Canada. I was an international student coming here, and. Um, Iran, similar to some other countries like Israel and Singapore and a few other ones, has a mandatory military service. Hmm. So as a male, for me, an Iranian, I had to go back to Iran after finishing my studies. I didn't want to do that. Um, So uh, again, I'm not going to get into that right now. But um, so I had the requirement of finding a reason to stay in Canada legitimately and also um, kind of not going back to Iran to do military service. And the combination of the two meant that I want to get my permanent residence as soon as possible, right? And one of the reasons, one of the ways that I found at the time looking at all the laws and everything was that I could apply through a provincial nominee program, Ontario's provincial nominee program, which allowed me to kind of, if I have a job after graduating from a master's program, I could get, um, I could get in the path of getting my permanent residence. So that was kind of the driving decision, have enough income and get my provincial nominee uh, program nomination and then go through the permanent residency application process. So what did I need for that? I needed to have a job offer. So what did I do? Like as soon as possible, like I, I started searching for a job for the summer in September of the year before. Hmm. Uh, I went through the interview process. I got, a, uh, I got an offer from a consulting firm uh, in October for starting in the summer. Right. So um, now I have the offer in my hand. I'm like, when can I start my application process for the permanent residency? Um, and I started my process in March. So way before I even start my uh, my work, I got I got, went through the process of actually using that to uh, to go through the process. Um, and then that became my job uh, and went through went through the whole um, process after that, stayed there for a year and got my permanent residency. And, and that was kind of like the, one of the main criteria for for my next steps in Canada. Yeah, I think that that's a good point where a, a lot of folks think that when they're graduating, uh, let, let's say in April and June, let's start applying in April or June. Right? <laughs> Whereas <laughs> oftentimes like, like consulting companies specifically will hire like the, the September before and more and more companies are, are applying kind of earlier and earlier where it's at January, it's November, it's, it's August and, and sometimes mm-hmm. a full uh, 12 months before. Uh, so for, for anyone graduating, just just be aware <laughs> that, that you yeah. want to start thinking a, a little bit early for, for those types of things. Um, yeah. So, so so now that, that you have a job, so, so walk us through kind of the the work career and, and some of the, the interesting milestones along the way. I, I got the, I got started in June and it's, it was a technology consulting job. And um, as part of the role, we had to go through training. Okay. And we did two weeks of training in Atlanta, Georgia. I could have gone to Chicago for more training and India for more training, oh. but I got a project right after and I was sent to do the project because obviously consulting firms, the expectation is that you learn so you can be built. Yep. Uh, built meaning uh, they can charge the customer for your time. And uh, for me, it happened right, right after very soon. I got a project there and then a few um a few weeks after, I got another project, and I would have put on another project for uh, for about eight months. So that became uh, that became my kind of next next eight months. Um, I learned on the job. 
it was it was helpful, good, um, but I didn't uh, I didn't enjoy the process much. Again, comparison of technology consulting, slow process that that we had to go through. Hmm. So so what was the, the progression there? So you were not so happy with this this current role, um, and and did, did you have to stay there as part of your like visa and application requirements that sort of thing, or were you, were you starting to look afterwards or? No, so um, good question. Uh, what happened is that when you're when you're out of a job, you hear different, you hear things, and when you get into a job, you hear different things, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's an experience that I had first time after uh, after graduation. I had heard that consulting would be challenging, demanding, and uh, in involving travel and things like that. Sure. So that was and a lot of learning. So that was the expectation that I went into consulting with, and not knowing that in 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 the world that I was in, in technology consulting, it would depend on where your customer is. Sure. In my case, my customer was downtown Toronto. So obviously okay. I don't need to travel other than maybe taking the TTC to gotcha. get to the customer location, right? And because we're doing technology consulting, the projects are long. So um, being long, it means that um, I'm not gonna be changing my customer or my project very, very often, right? Um, so that was another thing. And I went into that um, I thought I would be applying a lot of my knowledge in, uh, in my experience and technology and software, but uh, being enterprise software and I was the user of that enterprise software, I was using very limited num uh, part of my knowledge base, mm. right? So these are the things that kind of encouraged me to start exploring other options. And I had heard startups are a great place to learn, to grow, um, find challenges and things like that. Right. And I was looking for a startup to join. At the time, I was looking for a founder to join as a co-founder, right? So somebody who has an idea, somebody who's early, early stages of building a company and is looking for someone technical to help them build that product and build that company. So that search obviously took a while and um, I found it. Um, I found someone that I would start talking to um, a little bit more, getting, getting to know him, the business, the product, uh, what the intention was, what the vision was. And um, after months and months of talking, um, I decided to join him in the next June. So just one year after joining the consulting firm, I okay. uh, moved on to work on the startup. And, and did you have uh, any requirements in terms of some people have like two years for, for their work permits and their, their visa and the PR and stuff of like that? Or, or this program is like, no, it, it, you could cut ties at, at pretty much whenever you wanted. So luckily for me, my employment agreement was a standard employment, meaning that I don't have any minimum amount required to stay with the company. And luckily for me, because I had started my process earlier, I could finish early and I could my permanent residency early. Okay. So I didn't have none of those limits uh, to move on to, uh, uh, to, another, to another company, especially a startup, because startups are less established and they can provide less uh, kind of legal and financial support in that sense. Sure. And so walk us through that, that startup uh, as you're getting um, that, that learning that supposedly promised to you in startups and stuff. Is, is that what you got? And was that, did that meet expectations or is it kind of like, oh, people talk and, and none of it's right? <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I've learned at the time, I didn't know. One thing that I've learned right now is that startups by nature 
are very much dependent on the framework, uh, the, the mindset of the founders, okay. right? So how the founders think, how they perceive and what their goals are and everything is founder driven in early stage startups, sure. right? Now I've, I've worked with so many founders in the past several years that I know now, but at the time uh, I was mostly focused on, does this uh, industry make sense? Does it excite me? And the answer was yes. It was in financial technology, FinTech, and I love okay. FinTech. I want to get into finance. And I did, and I learned a ton. Um, and will I be building code and writing code? And the answer was yes. I was building like a very, very complex product that I even didn't know what I'm building um, <laughs> because it was very specialized and our founder knew about it. And he would kind of like come in and coach me step by step, right? So that's another thing. Again, uh, our founder wasn't a teacher, wasn't a mentor. Um, he helped me do the things the way he thought would make sense. And I did them that way. I learned to code. I learned the market that way. But I, um, it, it took me a while to learn to think about the process, right? Mm. So the coaching and a mentoring of who your manager is, um, is very, very valuable and important. And that's a lesson that I didn't know at the time. Now, if I were to choose a company, I would, the first thing I would look at before even salary or um, industry or anything else, I would be looking at who my manager is, who my leader mm -hmm. is, and uh, what how they think and what they think. So that's actually one of the things that I wish I know earlier. <laughs> so, so what are some of the things that you would look out for in the future? So the things that you didn't recognize at the time, but what are some key important things for, for you? And, and everybody's going to be slightly different, um, but what are some of the key things that uh, kind of tipped you off? Like, yeah, next time I really got to make sure that this person, my manager is going to be like this. I would share, I would say, first of all, I need to know myself. For me, okay. I know my values. I know what my priorities are, right? I know uh, where I want to put my focus on. And when I know which path I want to be going on, I want to make sure that the environment that I go, that I go into and the, the, the leader that I kind of follow aligns with that as well. So we're kind of like right. on, working on the same path. And that's something that I would kind of keep an eye out. So what is his or her dream that I'm going to be part of? Um, what is his or way of thinking? Or um, is, I'm going to say, are they um, a good coach or a mentor? Are they growing themselves? Do they have an open mind? Are they trusting? And a lot of those things that would allow me to achieve the things that I want, right? Okay. While I'm helping them achieve their goals. So kind of building that mutually beneficial relationship. Sounds good. And then the next stage, well, I, I think spoiler alert, you, you decide to do something on your own because I guess you, you didn't find that where, where you were. Was that the case or was there just another, an, another reason for, for you to, to start something on your own? So I was at, at the company Kultra for four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the world of technology, that's a lot of time. Sure. Um, and uh, when I, I was there for four years, built the first product, hired a bunch of people, uh, built a dev team. And towards the end of the four years, um, we started a VP of engineering. So someone to take over the engineering side, someone who had a lot of background and experience. And um, he came on, I kind of like handed over, like onboarded him on how everything on the engineering side works and the team. And he became the leader of the team. Mm -hmm. And I realized, or I kind of knew that it was time for me to move on, uh, mostly because I want to kind of experience a new challenge. I didn't want to kind of be focused on a one specific tech stack for, for too long as my right. first main kind of 
technology experience, right? Like my, my main kind of uh, professional experience, if that makes sense. So I was looking for something else and um, found uh, this kind of next idea uh, to, to work on, which I think um, is a very valuable business idea. Um, I worked on it for about a year, but unfortunately I realized another lesson um, that I had learned, a, that I had read a lot about. Everybody in startups talks about it, but I didn't value it as much. But having yeah. gone through the experience, I can share now. Having passion for the problem you're solving. Right. I was an analytical person. I'm an engineer. Like passion is not something that I use all the time, except for hearing uh, in, in the startup kind of scenes and investors and VCs talk about it all the time. Right. But in a startup world, when you're starting, it's very demanding. It is very challenging. It is not rewarding because startup founders are building a system right. and building a system, a company and a product takes time. And uh, I could have, I was, again, it, 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 was, it was an extremely delayed gratification. And if, if I don't have passion, I'm going to be challenging and questioning my decisions every single day and that's going to be draining. So now if I were to start something else, I would ask myself, do I, do I care about the customer and the product, right? Do I find it exciting? And can I live working on it for five, 10, 20 years, uh, however long it takes to actually achieve success? And that would be one of the things that, uh, that I would be asking myself. Cool. And then, well, even, even before that time, you, you uh, started teaching as, as well. So, so how, how did that kind of branch of, of, of your uh, career path uh, happen? So, so I think that this happened before you started your, uh, your own company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, again, towards second or third year of working at Kultra, the, the startup that I had joined, I was interviewing candidates for software engineering roles. And I was a U of T grad and I wanted U of T graduates, again, it's kind of like alliterative uh, university kind of uh, ego, I guess, might be a word uh, for it. Uh, I wanted to make sure that U of T students are good in, term, in the eyes of the hiring managers. They want to hire them uh, to bring on. And the challenge was the University of Toronto students, compared to some other universities, which I'm not going to name, um, have less hands-on experience. Right less professional experience when it comes to building software. And that becomes a barrier for them finding it, even an internship or, um, or a full-time job. And I want to go back to teaching to help them kind of bypass the barrier and have the first footing and a good start in their education that will set them up for success when it comes to going for internships and full-time jobs. So that's why I went back to teaching uh, and start teaching at the University of Toronto. And, and was the course that you're teaching, because um, I know you do like projects with, with um, businesses outside and, and have, have students code it, uh, was that the course and, and you just took it over or did you integrate that into the course on your own because of this need to have folks have, have hands-on experience? So at the time, uh, it was more of a, there was a project and but the project was not the way that it is today the project right. was here's something that we tell you to build and you're going to go build it and there's a there's a chance that no one's going to be using it afterwards right right so that was kind of like a very academic setting if you will right where 
there's a kind of like a made, made up project and students build work on work towards that made up project. Mm -hmm. um, that was what I took over for the most part. And then um, as I as I started teaching and gained experience, I learned that I okay, so we can make this more meaningful for the students because if it's a made up project and I just made it up because I want to give the students a project, they won't have a real customer to work with. Sure. They won't have a real project to work on and understand and clarify what needs to be done. So I started reaching out, as you mentioned, to nonprofits, uh, research labs, startups, and different organizations that would have a small projects that our students could work on and kind of created that partnership program where they would propose projects and the students would choose which projects they want to work on. So, so you're, you're teaching, you've evolved this program, giving uh, students kind of real world, uh, well, closer to real world <laughs> work experience, because now there's an actual client in there. Uh, mm -hmm. and you're, you're in that, that startup, then you start your own startup. Uh, and, and then uh, what, what happens there to, to bring you to kind of your, your current place? Um, so I worked on the startup for about a year. I got into an incubator. It was, again, a great idea that I was working on. I, I had a partner, main founder of the business, who was in the same industry. And um, we started working together, building the product. We launched the product. And um, as we moved forward, I realized that, and we got early success. We got a grant. We got into the incubator. We were going for a patent on the, on the project. Mm. And as we moved forward, I realized, I asked myself, um, I would, for, for, for a startup like this to succeed, we would need several years of undivided attention, both of us, and uh, potentially with a larger team. And it would, it would be a, a big commitment, much bigger than I had initially planned for or thought about. And um, I asked the question of, do I love the problem that I'm solving? Do, do I care so much about it? Uh, and uh, the kinds of customers or the people that I'm working with and working on. And am I willing to put in five years of my, my life uh, for, for, the, for, for the success of the company or for the definition of success? So that became kind of a, uh, where do I put my time in as a main question and the priority that I define for the startup. And for me, what I work on and what I spend my time on is, is highly valuable than just having a success as, as a title, although we're on the right track and getting customers and all that, um, I, I decided to move on to uh, where I am right now, actually. Yeah, so, so walk us through, through that journey. So, so did you kind of say, hey, uh, founder uh, or co-founder, let's, let's part ways and, and are they continuing on that business or, or, or did, did it kind of uh, drop entirely? And then what was your path to kind of secure your, your, your current role? So I had some uh, difficult uh, and honest conversations with, with the founder of the company at the time and um, explained the situation. We talked about it and we kind of acknowledged the differences that we, we also had. There was, there's a little more than, um, again, disagreements on, uh, on, on, uh, on how we see things moving forward as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked about that and I told, told him that I'm happy to support because I, again, I was the co-founder and CTO and a lot of the, the infrastructure and the product um, I told him that I'm happy to kind of support him to um, as while he's looking for potentially another person or continue to work on the project. Um, so that was our argument. And as I was kind of having those conversations, kind of moving on, I started uh, talking to people in my network 
to, to see what might be open. Um, and uh, one of the people that I had worked with at our first startup, Kultra, reached out and said, hey, David, I've joined this amazing startup. And uh, I know we work together very well. And I know you, so come join us mm. and work with us. And I said yes to that kind of um, invite. I talked to him and then I talked to the co-founder of the business at the time, Sean. And uh, this was almost two years ago now. And uh, it, Sean, again, leader of the company, again, having learned lessons from before, leader of the company was an amazing person. They had already a, a successful exit. Mm. Um, and they had almost figured out at the time what, what the product is gonna be, what the startup is gonna do. So it, it checked the boxes uh, for me and I decided to join ideal.com, which is the company that I'm part of right now. And uh, well, the good news is two years later, uh, we, we just got acquired a few weeks ago. In, in the startup lingo, it means essentially a success and an exit for, for the main founders and the early employees and potentially uh, op more opportunities at a much bigger scale within a larger company. Yeah, it sounds like a, a successful uh, time and, and uh, you learn from your, your challenges and mistakes and, and now uh, you're on to potentially uh, uh, bigger and, and better things. So uh, what, what's some, I guess, other swipe that you might want to uh, impart on folks? And then if you want to share some of your, your future aspirations uh, ongoing, then we'd love to hear those as well. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, which is choose their leader and knowing I love the space that I'm in right now, okay. right? Um, HR tech, right? Working on projects that have meanings for me, right? One of the things that I spend a lot of my time on are conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay. And helping companies be more inclusive and diversifying their talent pool and giving everybody an equitable chance. Right. That's something that I'm personally passionate about and drives in more so than, again, just being a job. So it, they call about a job, a career, and a mission, and a calling, and things like that, right? So for me, all of them are, 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 are lined up. And wherever I go, I think that would be something that would be a requirement mm -hmm. uh, for me. So, so far I've had learning and challenges with the two things that I started with my first startup. The second was again, having it lined up with my personal values. Um, that would be a second thing uh, that now, um, again, I don't know given the uncertainties of acquisition to be perfectly honest, what's gonna happen next but I'm gonna make sure that those are the things that I'm gonna have in my, uh, in my role, um, wherever I go. That's amazing. And uh, for those that hear uh, birds chirping in the background, uh, David's joining us from Costa Rica. So uh, uh, maybe th there's gonna be more travel or working abroad in your uh, future as well. Sure. But uh, yeah, th thanks so much for, for joining us and sharing uh, some of your, your insights, your swipe and your journey. And uh, we might have you back for, for other deep dives on a whole bunch of other things. I, I, I picked up a couple of things. You, you mentioned the diversity and inclusion uh, could be an interesting topic, could be um, as, as an uh, immigrant, a lot of the startup stuff, and even on product uh, could, could be good as well. So I uh, would love to have you back if, if you're willing. And uh, yeah, if, is there a place where, where folks can reach out to you or is there any other parting words that you want to share with the audience? Well, thank you for, for the time. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, I think. LinkedIn might be the best way uh, to connect if, if uh, people are willing to. I'm happy to have conversations. Like I mentioned, I, uh, I do teaching mostly because I want to help uh, mostly software engineers and other young folks uh, find their next steps. So happy to connect with, the, with people who are interested. Um, my LinkedIn, uh, I, I guess, Luki can share yeah, or we'll share that. find me easily. Yeah. Great. 
Sounds good. So perfect, David. So thanks so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully have you back for a future episode. Thank you and uh, have a good day. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.